0: Hi, my name is Mark Riggins and I'm pastor here at Life Point, located in Plano, Texas and we meet here every Sunday at 1030 and we're here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Acts 20, 24. Would you all stand with me as we say our memory verse out loud together? Lift up your voices and say that with me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Acts 20, 24. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are here today, and as we open your word, may we discover what you care about the most. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hey, I don't know about you, but before we get going, I just got to say, wasn't that worship just great this morning? Praise the Lord for that. I was a little hoarse and I had to go get some water because I was like, man, I'm just wanting to stop and sing for a little too long today. That was great. I enjoyed it so much. And I'm so grateful that you were participating and lifting your hands or singing out loud and just participating. That's what we get to do corporately. You don't get to do that anywhere else. When we come together and sing, it's powerful. And I love that we get to do that together. Hey, we're going to dive into Acts chapter 20 here in just a minute. But before we do, I want to ask you a question. Have a little fun with this. When you were a kid... What was one of the heroes that you looked up to as a child? What were one of the heroes? Maybe it was somebody in your life, maybe it was somebody on TV, somebody you'd read about, somebody you'd heard about. I'll tell you what my two heroes were and then I want you to ask somebody beside you in a minute what one of their heroes might have been as a child. And just to prove to you that all dreams don't come true, let me tell you what my two heroes were. Mine were Roger Staubach, quarterback of the Cowboys, and the Incredible Hulk. Still working on both those. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Take 10 seconds and ask the person beside you, who was a hero when you were a child? Just take a few seconds and ask them right now if you would. Hey, for those of you who are online, go ahead and comment in uh, the comment section. Just love to hear from you who maybe some of the heroes were for you as a child. Also to let you know at the end of the service, we're gonna be taking communion today. So if you wanna go ahead and, and grab those elements, bread, cracker, water, juice, something that you can participate in communion with us, we'd love for you to do that today. All right, let's go ahead. Right over here, this section, who do you have? Who was a hero when you were a child? Just shout it out. Who'd you say, Luke? Jack Sparrow. Sparrow. Nice. I can see that a little bit. That's good. All right, right here. Who who, who did you have as a hero? Who did you say, Matt? I don't know who that is. Say it a little louder because I'm getting judged right here in the front. Very, oh, Roberto Clemente? Okay, very good. I got you now. Yeah, that's a big time hero. Thank you, Matt. All right, right here, who do we have as a hero as a child? Who? Jesus. I love that. There's always one in every crowd. You can't top that one. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. And that's who Paul's hero is, and he's going to talk about it in a little bit. All right, right here. Favorite hero as a child? who you say? Jim, did you say Pastor George? Second to Jesus. Let's back up for the lightning now. Here we go. I love that. That's great. I love the smile on George's face most of all, though. All right, right here. Favorite hero as a child? Don Meredith. Don Meredith. You backed up before Roger Staubach. Way to go. That's impressive, Kathy. That's right. That's good. All right, last section right here. Childhood hero. The Dukes, just the whole show. Man, I haven't thought about that show in a while. Uncle Jesse. Yeah, I love it. Well, what we're going to do today as we look at Acts chapter 20 is we're going to see what Paul says about heroes. And Paul is going to explain why it is we have heroes and what they ultimately mean, because that's an important thing to discuss. So if you got your Bibles, look with me at Acts chapter 20. We continue our series. If you didn't bring a Bible, okay, there's a Bible in the pew there. You can just pick it up, look in the table of contents, find the book of Acts, go with us to chapter 20, and we're going to dive in today. And today, I know I say this every time, but I'm telling you, today's chapter, it is so powerful powerful. And it, I believe, is one of those chapters that you can come back to again and again and again and again because it's so foundational to how we see this world that we live in that is so hungry for a hero. Paul talks about that in Acts chapter 20. So let's pick it up where we should always begin, and that is in verse 1. Look with me at Acts chapter twenty. And let's look together at verse 1. And then I'm going to skip a whole bunch of verses. I'm going to summarize them so we can get to this topic today. Verse 1, it says, When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye, and he set out for Macedonia. Now, we need to know what in the world's going on here because there's some kind of like dust-up that's happening that's causing a bit of an uproar and Paul to leave. And if you'll remember, Paul has been on these missionary journeys and we saw the first one where he sort of stayed closer to the coast of Israel. And then we saw him go over the entire, not only the Mediterranean Sea, but the Aegean Sea on missionary trip number two. Well, missionary trip number three is similar. And I'll just let you know that there were a lot of conflicts along the way. Here, just before chapter 20, he is in the city of Ephesus, and what's going to be an important city we're going to look at in a minute. He spends three years or more in this city on this trip, so it gives you an idea of how long these trips were. And toward the end, there was this dust-up where people who believed that Paul's motives were impure, that there could not only be one God, that didn't make any sense, and so all of a sudden, there's a lot of conflict and division, and that was always sort of uh, common. Wherever Paul went, there seemed to be conflict. And it's sort of a reminder that Paul, remember he, he was on that second missionary journey, he wanted to go north, and all of a sudden he made, had to make a hard life. you remember that? This was sort of the theme throughout Paul's ministry. He thought he was going here, and God led him here, and there would be conflict there, so then he would go over to the new city. And it's sort of a reminder, and I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but over and over, Paul used all of these things to accomplish, God used those things to accomplish good. And it's a reminder to me that in God's kingdom, New obstacles result in new opportunities. And I don't know what's going on in your marriage, at your job, in your relationships, in your finances, in your world. But I bet you, you're experiencing new obstacles all the time. They may not be to the extreme with physical obstacles that Paul had, but you've got them. And it's the reminder that if we believe God is truly ultimately in charge and sovereign... New obstacles just result in new opportunities. We see this over and over in Paul's life. Now I want you to see the map and that's gonna set up where we're going today. So look at this map. This is Paul's third missionary journey. And if you look just uh, in the center of the map, you see ancient Asia, bottom left, kind of the southwest corner of that, you'll see the city of Ephesus. Do you see that? It's got a little yellow dot, which kind of indicates those seven yellow dots, the seven churches in Revelation chapter two and three, which isn't relevant to what we're going today, but there was no charge for that one. And there at Ephesus, if you look at where that is, that's where Paul spends three years. And that's where we just read that verse in verse one. And watch what he's about to do. He's about to go north. He's going to go all the way up to Troas. And then he's going to cross the Aegean Sea. He's going up to Macedonia, which he just said. That's where he was headed. He goes all the way down around Athens to Corinth. He'll actually spend three months there. So this is several months, this leg of the trip. He'll go, and then he circles right back. And he wants to go to Ephesus because these people are so special to him. While he's in Ephesus, that original time, most scholars believe he wrote several letters, including the letter to the Corinthians, First Corinthians, that we have in our Bible, he wrote while he was at Ephesus on this leg. So he wants to come back to Ephesus, but he also wants to get back to Jerusalem. He has a deadline. He's wanting to make it back there for Pentecost. You remember Pentecost was what happened 50 days after Easter or 50 days after Passover when the church experienced the, the dissension and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And the church was born. We saw that back in Acts 1 and 2. Well, now the church is beginning to celebrate that event. And Paul wants to make it back to that um, back to, uh to Jerusalem. So look, if you would, instead of going to Ephesus simply to save time, he goes just south of Ephesus to a, you. Try saying it. You make it in front of me <laughs> down south in a town called Miletus, and he and in Miletus, what he's essentially going to do is, okay, all of you up in Ephesus, who I love and I've spent all these years with, would you come down and meet me so it'll save me time and I can make it back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. That's kind of what's happening logistically, but it kind of gives you a sense of how long he's been on this trip. Some of the opposition that's gonna take place and what he's gonna say to us today, I think that'll kind of give you a little bit of context, all right? So just so you know, in verse, uh, let's see, verse two through like 10, he's gonna make all this trek. It talks about some of the people that are with him. And then he comes back to Troas. It's such a funny thing that happens. And some of you need to hear this one today. Some of you, I can already tell, need to hear this one. And like verse 7, 8, 9, we'll just have that map up there. You'll see Paul come back to Troas. And when he comes back to Troas, which is that northwest uh, corner of ancient Asia, he begins to preach. And the verse actually says he preaches on and on, right? Till after midnight, that's how long he preaches. And somebody falls asleep. And they're up on a windowsill, like a second or third story windowsill, and they fall and they die. Now, don't yawn. Now, a... now, the good part of the story is God heals them and he, and he resurrects them. But the, bad, the moral of the story is don't fall asleep during the message. It's bad for your health. All right? So if you see somebody yawning or you kind of nudge them and say, Hey, I don't want you to be the guy, right? As we write, all right, so that happens in Troas. Then he comes down and they make their way all the way and now they're in Miletus and now he's saying, okay, we come down from Ephesus, all those who I love. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 17 where we find out what Paul has to say about heroes. Verse 17, it says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. He wants all those leaders and even those who have come to faith under his ministry to come down and meet him. And when they arrived, and I picture they're meeting on like this beach head, not too far from where the ship would have docked, and there this group of people come down and maybe they can smell the salt water in the air and Paul's meeting with all these people that have meant so much to him. Paul begins to teach there and he says, "'You know how I lived the whole time I was with you "'from the first day I came into the province of Asia. "'I served the Lord with great humility and with tears.' And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. You do get a sense that Paul is just very single-minded like, he is not wasting his, any moments of his life on anything but Jesus saves, anything on God loves you regardless, anything on repent and surrender to this resurrected Jesus. That's all he's about. There's a single-mindedness here. And in the final words, he gives a warning that he knows applies to his life in the next leg of this trip as he goes back to Jerusalem. Look what it says. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Now that's pretty significant to know there's that much suffering ahead. Now I don't know about you, but as I read all these stories of Paul, I keep thinking, that poor guy. Like he's gone, he's been in prison, he's been beaten with rods, he was stoned with rocks and left for dead, he was opposed, he was uh, mischaracterized, he was kicked out of towns, he's constantly on the run, and he's constantly being opposed. But do you remember when Paul originally came to faith back in Acts 9 when we were looking at it, that it was Paul who on the road to Damascus, he was setting out to be a terrorist for God. Remember, that's what he did. He arrested Christians, he was opposing all those people who followed Jesus, and in a miraculous Way God came down, and Jesus himself, through a bright light, we often call it just the road to Damascus experience, came and rescued Paul. Remember that story? Well, it's in that chapter, later on in chapter 9, where it was predicted exactly what lie ahead for Paul. And I want you to see it. It's in Acts chapter 9. Let's just share on the screen. It says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Ananias didn't want to follow Paul, God said, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And here it is. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This was part of the deal from day one. And Paul knew it and he signed up anyway. And I think we forget this is part of the deal on our journey too. You remember of all the promises Jesus made to us? One of them was, in this world, you will have have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome this world. That promise to Paul is a promise to us. And it's okay for me to struggle in the suffering, but I shouldn't be surprised that as a follower of Jesus that I suffer. Paul is suffering. And as he's suffering, I am reminded of what Elizabeth Elliot, who was a, uh, a missionary from the previous century, said when she lost her first husband to uh, murder and then her second husband to cancer and she had to come back off of the field and she said, in fact, she wrote a book entitled, Suffering is Never for Nothing. God, who is good, has a way of using it all. Whether I understand it or not may be a different thing, but suffering is never for nothing. And then look at this quote in that book by Elizabeth Elliott where she writes, whatever is in the cup, the cup of suffering, that God is offering to me, whether it be pain and sorrow and suffering and grief, along with many more joys, I'm willing to take it because I trust him. That's a step of faith, isn't it? To get to that place, to say I am willing to take this because I trust him. And that's where Paul was. So Paul says, I know suffering, I'm about to get on a ship, I'm gonna say goodbye to you guys for the last time from Miletus, I'm headed to Jerusalem, and I will never see you guys again. And I know suffering is coming. And then verse 24, here's his decision. Here's how he's facing the future. Say it with me out loud if you would. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. In the shadow of past suffering and future suffering, he makes that claim. No matter what, I want to testify to the good news of God's grace. Now here's what I can't help but think. When Paul was a little boy, do you think if someone would have asked him, who are some of your heroes, Paul? I bet he would have been able to name some people. Maybe they would have been military figures. Maybe they would have been political figures. Maybe they would have been parents. Maybe they would have been somebody in the community that he admired or that others admired. I bet you when he was a little boy, his dream wasn't to someday be beaten, imprisoned, stoned with rocks and left for dead, opposed by most people, and have a very hard and risky life. Little boys don't dream that. And I doubt Paul dreamed that. But somewhere along the way, he took the dream he had and he cashed it in for the mission God gave him. And here's where I just wanna take a second and just identify something that's real for most of us. We have been given a dream as children, especially in a nation like ours. It's a national dream. We even call it the American dream. And it's a beautiful, inspirational concept. And it goes something like this, that if you will come to America, and if you work really hard, you can become whatever you want to become. What's not to love about that? The challenge with it is that we are choosing what we will do with our life and that we will choose the dreams that we will spend our life chasing. And the problem with that is what if you weren't designed or created to chase that dream? What if you chase a dream that's the wrong dream and you waste your life on something that's too small to invest an entire life chasing? What if you weren't created to even be worthy of that? You've just seen someone else who's pursuing it and you'll compare and spend your whole life comparing your dream to their dream and God's going, what are you doing chasing a dream I never put in you? You see, this is where Paul came and he had that Damascus moment and my prayer is today, some of us will have a Damascus moment. Maybe it'll be salvation, but maybe it'll be, wait a minute, that isn't the dream God had created me to pursue. There is a mission That I know he enlisted all of us to pursue. And it might just counter the dream that I thought I was supposed to chase. Let me give you a difference, in fact, just to think it through a little deeper. The difference between the American dream and God's mission for all of us. Because they look very different. Because in the American dream, and the reality is, it's always temporary. You know how I know that it's temporary? Because some of us in this world have what I call a legacy myth. We think we want to leave a legacy by accomplishing something, accumulating something, and having a certain status. But here's what I know. More than likely, you don't know your great, 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 great grandfather. The reason you don't know him is at some point, he got forgotten. And here's what I know about me. At some point, I'm going to be forgotten. It's just a matter of which will be the first generation to forget about me. There'll be no legacy for me to leave in this world that is truly enduring. And so an American dream is always temporary, but God's mission is about eternity. It's about the moment I show up on to a story that pre-existed me, to a story that will go on past me, and I get to contribute to that eternal story. You see, another difference between the American dream is the American dream says, look at me. God's mission says, look at God. I want to point to God goodness of God's grace Paul said it wasn't about what he was accomplishing the American dream says I want to avoid suffering whereas God's mission says I have to acknowledge suffering is a very real part of this broken world the, the temporary or the American dream always means that I want to accumulate something for people. I want to have an, I want to have a, an inheritance for my children and grandchildren. I want to leave something and, and make my mark on this world and leave something for people. Whereas God's mission says, no, I want to leave something in people. I want my kids and grandkids to have a personal relationship and a dependence on God like never before. I want my kids to be able to take the goodness of God's grace and point other people to it and represent His mission. The American dream says ultimately, I want the blue check mark, right? If you have one, I'm not trying to go after you, right? But I'd like to talk to you afterwards. Not really. So it's, it's, we want influence, right? We want a platform. We want to be of a status. There's nothing wrong with, with having those things. It's just if that becomes the dream, because what does Paul say? What does Scripture say is the ultimate platform, the ultimate accomplishment? Is that someday we will enter heaven and hear these words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the ultimate accomplishment for the follower of Jesus. Let me tell you something that you already know. Every dream will eventually let you down. Every dream will eventually let you down. There are countless stories. I was listening to one not too long ago. It was an interview between John McEnroe and, and Alec Baldwin. And John McEnroe talking about way back in the day with tennis, he finally became the number one player in the world. And that had been his goal for so many years. You remember kind of walking up the chart. And at age 26, he finally accomplished it. And he said by age 28 it hit him, that's it? That's all this gives me in return? Every dream will eventually let you down. And yet, for some reason, we keep selling this idea to our kids and our grandkids in the next year. Hey, what do you want to be? What do you want to pursue? What is the dream that you're after? And as I've said before, my greatest fear is that I would sell my kids on this idea and someday they would find themselves stuck behind a white picket fence, reeling line. They've spent their whole life chasing something that doesn't satisfy. Paul, he was introducing something completely different. He said, my life is worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish this race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now that's a mission worth spending our life pursuing. And over the next few verses, he would be so passionate about it as they're about to have this emotional goodbye. We're gonna read the last three or four verses. That over the next few verses, he would actually tell them, look, when I leave here and I'll never see you again, but I'm gonna promise you other people will come and they'll try to sell you on heroes. They'll try to sell you on dreams. They'll try to sell you on other people who can satisfy. But don't you dare listen because Jesus and Jesus alone satisfies. And now he has the emotional goodbye. Look with me at verse 36 as we look at it together. Verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking there on the beach, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. Now with all the supernatural things that happened throughout the book of Acts, we can't help but notice that there are 32 different times that they stopped and spent significant time in prayer. And that's why I want to echo what Pastor Dennis said earlier, invite you to come and pray with us this this Wednesday at 1230 in the Connection Center or wherever you are. We're gonna even fast this week. Maybe for you that means skipping a meal. Maybe it means sun up to sundown 24 hours or maybe it means fasting from social media or whatever you wanna fast from. But we wanna invite you to do that because we see that quite a bit in the book of Acts. There is not only praying but there is fasting. And here's what I wanna say. If you believe God is still active, if you believe God is still powerful like I do, then you also have to believe that it's prayer that seems to trigger the activity of the Holy Spirit that positions our hearts for what God wants to do, And so this is an opportunity for us to not only serve the same God that Paul was serving, to not only tap into the same power of the Holy Spirit that Paul was tapping into, but for us to mimic his behavior and truly pray and to re-anchor our heart and dependence on God. So I want to invite you to come and join us. I want to invite you to be part of this, this Wednesday at 1230. Say, so I don't like praying in public, no worries. You just come. Say, so I don't know how to pray for half an hour. You don't have to. You just come and show up. We got prayer prompts that kind of walk you through ways that you can pray but we invite you to come and be part of that this Wednesday at 12.30. All right, last two verses, and they are emotional. Look at verse 37. At the end of the prayer, it says, they all wept. As they embraced him, Paul, and kissed him. And what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Read this last sentence out loud with me, if you would. Say it with me. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Now what's going on here? This is a unique scene. Where they've sort of been near the harbor. And now they all sort of are walking. Because all along, Paul has been laser focused on one thing. Not collecting souvenirs and stuff. But really telling souls about an internal savior. And now these people are accompanying him to the ship. And I can't help but think that it's one of those silent walks, you know, the kind where there's a grief when you go to say a final goodbye to somebody, and you feel the weight of the moment and the anticipation of this grief, and they walk along this sandy road through the beach to the dock, and I suspect it was silent, And they could hear the crashing waves and they're anticipating their own tears. And they just work together. The clock is running out. And their time together has come to an end. Who are these people walking with Paul? These are the people who heard the gospel from the lips of Paul for the first time. These are the people whose lives were transformed by God himself because Paul had the courage to go to Ephesus and spend time with them and their lives have been forever changed. I don't know about you, but the person that brings you to Christ and mentors you and disciples you always holds a special place in your heart, don't they? And here they're walking with Paul to the end to thank him and just to be with him for how he was courageous to be used of God for them. And it it made me sort of be challenged by this question. Who will accompany you to the ship? At the end of your life, who will line up to thank you for pointing them to the goodness of God's grace? Who will be the ones who will say thank you for my faith because of the way you lived, because of the way you poured into me, because you kept persistently sharing Jesus with me? I am different. I am changed. And I want to say thank you. Who are those people in your life who would say thank you in the end? I don't know about you, but when, I, when it comes to dreams, I love dreams. I love to set goals. That's just sort of the way I'm wired. Some of you are the exact same way. But I am repeatedly convicted by the, one of the verses that Paul wrote in Ephesus to the people in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And it's a powerful reminder that there are certain freedoms I do not have. And I want you to see it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, Paul says, do you not know, these are those of us who follow Jesus, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now, would you read this next sentence out loud with me? Say it with me. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, think about that. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. If you are a follower of Jesus, that means he made you and he bought you. He rescued you. Therefore, Paul reminds us, we are on mission for him. I don't show up to this world going, huh, I wonder what I want to do. Just curious because I'm, I'm blessed with all these options. No, I am reminded I have been created by him. I have been bought by him. And God, I am on mission for you. That is why I'm here. You will equip me for that. You have a purpose for me. You will empower me to do what you have created me. My job is not to miss what he created me to do. And that one of my greatest fears is that I would waste my life on a small dream that I made up that I was never intended to pursue. Instead, my job is to chase his dream and purpose for me. Jesus himself said, because you might be thinking, well, man, you know, I, I'm just used to, to, to thinking what, what it is I want to do. New Year's is coming. I'm going to have a resolution. I'm going to think, what is it I want to do? What is it about that, that I want to end up pursuing at the end of my life? What will I be proud of? And, and, and the way that we kind of couch that conversation and even that thought process. You remember what Jesus says? Because you might be thinking, well, Mark, it sounds like what you're asking me to do is lose the dream or, or to let go of the dream. I, I want to take it a step further and tell you, no, no, Jesus said you should do exactly that. Look what it says in Luke, the same one who wrote uh, the book of Acts, recorded the words of Jesus where Jesus himself in Luke chapter 17, verse 33 says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. In the end, you're still going to lose it, right? Nobody knows their great, great, great granddad. And whoever loses their life for his sake will preserve it. I don't know about you, but that is challenging as I think about that for my own life. That there is a challenge that Jesus... That God the Father, the Apostle Paul are challenging all of us. That the ultimate purpose for our life is to involve pointing other people to the goodness of God's grace. And what my title is, what my salary is, where I am on the org chart, what I accomplish, it just won't matter. When I stand before God someday in that eternal moment before the throne of God the Father, all I will want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant and to live my life for that moment instead of all the temporary moments between here and there. My great fear is that I will waste my life and I truthfully will tell you, I hope that is your great fear too. You say, how can you waste your life well, the way that we can waste our life is to do the opposite of the essential remain thing. And so, say, well, then what's the essential or main thing? And Paul, once again, has just kind of reminded us there. That's our memory verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. What is the main thing that God might be inviting us to? And I would just summarize what Paul said in verse 24 by simply saying this, that we would love people enough that we would point them to God's grace that we would love people enough that we would point them to God's grace. And here's a verse that challenges me all the time, and I bet it does you too. It's John chapter 14, verse six. It's a very controversial verse. The more um, sympathetic we become with diverse views. Jesus, though, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now this is a verse that I think some of us need to wrestle to the ground and say, God, did you really mean that one? Because if you do, it's easy to believe that other people believe it. It's easy to believe my parents believe it, my grandparents believe it, or that my pastor believes it, or that people in the past have believed it, but do you believe it? Because here's the significance of that one. If I love people and I believe the best thing in this world is God's grace through Jesus, then how can I not share with people I love the best thing that I know? It just doesn't compute, does it? Either I don't really love these people, or I don't really believe this is the best thing. Loving people by pointing them to the goodness of God's grace. Paul decided there was no greater mission in this world. And he literally will give his life for it. I think it should shape our conversations if we believe that that is true. That we would love people enough to just drop God in conversations, to not avoid the opportunity to make our life about sharing Jesus. One last time, you can just remain seated but say it with me, this is Paul's epitaph. Chapter 20, verse 24, would you say it out loud with me? However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, Acts 20, 24. I lied, I said one last time, we're gonna say it a few more times in the weeks ahead, last time today. Let me close with this this question. Are you chasing an American dream, a personal dream? And it may be a dream that God has given you that's under the umbrella of his mission. It's beautiful, but can you answer that question? Are you pursuing the mission of God? And I'd follow that up by asking you this. Who will accompany you to the ship? In the end, who will thank you for introducing them to Jesus, for growing their faith in the end? I can't think of no better way of ending the service than the way we get to end the service today through communion. As we think about what our Savior did for us, that Jesus walked the path of suffering for us, so that those of us who are sinful, would have a payment that we could never pay so that we could be rescued and this God, the Son, this Holy One could take on our sin on our behalf. Now, if you're new to church and maybe haven't taken communion before and this might feel new to you, I wanna just kinda walk you through it. Uh, But first, logistically, is there anybody, we, we handed those out on the way in, just those little cups, did anybody not get one? If you would just slip your hand up in the air, and we'll make sure that you get one Uh, right down here. Rick, anybody else, if you'll just raise your hand. Again, those of you who are online, if you want to go ahead and grab uh, some elements there in your house, bread, crackers, water juice, and we'll take communion together as a church family. If you're new to to church and communion isn't something that you've uh, gotten to take before, just to remember that Right before Jesus was crucified, in fact, the night that he was betrayed, he had a meal with his disciples. You remember that story? And there, they ate the bread and drank the wine. They drank, and Jesus said, this is to be done again and again as a remembrance of both Jesus' body being broken on the cross and the juice symbolizing Jesus' blood being spilt on the cross But he also went a little bit further and he said, and then I want you to take that from time to time just to simply proclaim what Jesus has done, what I have done, Jesus said. And so for some of you here today, maybe you've never taken communion or maybe you have, but you realize you're not yourself a follower of the same Jesus. And Jesus said one of the reasons we take communion like this is just to remind you what Jesus did for you and for me. And as we take communion together today, it's actually an invitation to you to give your life to this wonderful Jesus who loves you, who no matter what you've done has already through the cross displayed how much he loves you. And maybe you feel like your week hasn't gone well, maybe you feel like you haven't accomplished the dreams or they haven't satisfied like you thought they would. And you've realized that all heroes are just a shadow of Jesus, but only Jesus satisfies the soul. It's no wonder we love heroes, but we're only satisfied with Jesus. And if you would like to give your life to this Jesus today, maybe you feel something inside of you. I believe that's the Holy Spirit inviting you right here, right now to make the decision, just like Paul did in his life at one point, to give your life to him. So here's what I wanna ask everyone to do in this moment. Would you just lower your heads and even close your eyes? And I wanna offer a prayer. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, I wanna invite you to do that right here, right now. Would you just pray this prayer after me? Dear God, I admit that I am imperfect and that I am a sinner. And I believe you sent your son Jesus to the cross to pay for my sins and that you miraculously rose him from the dead conquering death once for all so now I confess him as my Lord and Savior and I commit to follow him as my ultimate dream and to be on mission the rest of my life the best I know how I pray all these things in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, I believe with all my heart it's the best decision you could ever make in this life. There's even a QR code there on the screen. There's one on the pew. If you just want to click that with your phone and let us know, I want to be able to pray for you. I want to celebrate with you your decision. You can let us know if you want to get baptized next week doing the same thing. Let us know you want to join one of our 9 a.m. life groups. But we'd love to celebrate and pray with those of you who made a decision to follow Jesus this morning. And here's the really special part. Now I want to invite all of us who follow Jesus, even some of us who just made that decision, to take communion together. As a church family, we're a spiritual family because God is our Father. And so I want to read that same letter that Paul wrote from Ephesus there The book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. Paul gives a quick moment to encourage people who follow Jesus that before you take communion, to just have a moment of self-reflection. Here's what Paul said. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup, For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. So just before we take communion together, it's just a moment for us as Jesus walked the way of suffering, not only for the sins of the past, but maybe the sins of this week in your life and mine, this month, maybe this morning, but it's an opportunity for us to say, God, would you reveal in my heart what I need to confess? What I need to repent of right here, right now. And then would you take a moment and offer a prayer of thanks to God for his son Jesus. And the cross and salvation that we all enjoy. In the quietness of this moment, let's pray together. Now as you prepare for communion, if you're not familiar with these, they can be a little tricky. So you can take the top level there and and there's the wafer and then there's a second level that you peel back and access the juice, so if you wanna do that. uh, Let me read a verse and then we'll take communion together. Paul went on to write in verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, So together, family, let's take communion. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer together? Father, we come to you today, first of all, to say thank you for paying a price I could never pay for my own sin. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for how inexplicably good and loving you are. God, thank you for loving us so much that you, with a previous generation, have used them to share, share you with us. And thank you, God, that you love us so much. You don't create us without purpose. You give us a very clear purpose. You set us on a course to be part of your mission. Thank you for making it so clear, Father. God, may you bless this church in ways we can't imagine. Would you do more through us than we could ever dream? And God, in the end, may it all be for your glory and your glory alone. Um, But it begins by us just stopping to say thank you for the eternal gift of salvation. We pray all these things in the power of the risen Savior, Jesus, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.